listening to this week's Lefevre CFC podcast. Connect with us via our website, lefevrecfc.com, or our Facebook page, www.facebook.com slash lefevrecfc. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We are halfway into the first month of a new year, and the series this month is on renewal, uh, which is a fitting way to start the year, fitting way to start every year, really. Uh, In Ecclesiastes, the writer says there is a time for everything, and Every new year gives us this natural time to reevaluate our lives and ultimately realign with who God is, uh, what he is up to in the world at large, what he is up to in the communities that we belong to, and what he's up to in this church in particular. Now, the people of Israel uh, had their seasons, and they had their calendar as well, which helped them to navigate and structure their lives. One of the regular practices that showed up in their calendar was fasting. The practice of fasting, just going without food, was built into their calendar. So the Hebrews, they fasted on the annual day of atonement, and then centuries later, when they were exiled from the land of Israel, the four other annual fasts were added to the calendar. And uh, they were markers to remember disasters throughout Jewish history. So there's a sense that fasting was about sorrow, sorrow over the state of their personal lives and sins committed that would require an annual day of atonement. But also fasting was about the sorrow over the state of the world and the disasters that Israel had lived through at that point. So the people of God fasted because there was something wrong with the world And they fasted because there was something wrong with them. Uh, It's an act of mourning and sorrow. Some point to Esther chapter 9 as another fast that was added to the Jewish calendar. So that's six times throughout the year that Israel would fast as prescribed by God. Now the opposite of fasting is feasting. And, And God put feasts into Israel's calendar as well. God called his people to both fast and feast. And we can work out what the point of a feast was. It's very similar to today. Uh, a feast, we feast to remember and show honor, like a birthday or Christmas. We feast to celebrate, like at a wedding reception. And Israel uh, had lots to remember, lots to honor, and lots to celebrate. And so God gave them times to fast and times to feast. Times to repent of personal sin and grieve over the state of the world they lived in and times to remember and honor and celebrate the saving presence of God in the world. So God installed both in their calendar, fasting and feasting. And if we skip forward in Israel's history to the time of Jesus, Israel was not in control of the land. The Romans had taken over at that point. So if you were a Jewish person, you would naturally think, well, this is not the time for feasting. Uh, You would assume that God is desiring you as a good Hebrew Jewish person to fast. And that makes sense considering their history. Times of hardship have always called for times of fasting. So all of that to say this, which is that I'm sure it was a shock to the religious leaders to have this upcoming Jewish contemporary 
religious leader with a band of disciples around him and they all seemed to show no regard for the practice of fasting. In fact, they were becoming very known for the practice of feasting. And this became such an issue for the religious leaders that we find this little scene in Luke chapter 5 and it's verse 33 onwards. Then they, the Pharisees and the experts in the law, said to Jesus, John's disciples frequently fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours continue to eat and drink. So Jesus said to them, you cannot make the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? But those days are coming, and when the bridegroom is taken from them, at that time they will fast. He also told them a parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old garment. If he does, he will have torn the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. Instead, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. No one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for he says the old is good enough. Now, I'm, I am sympathetic to the religious leaders, feeling shocked by Jesus and his disciples. You know, to them, Jesus may as well be showing up to a funeral, blasting the latest Taylor Swift song. Um, he's just being very inappropriate with all this joy and feasting. Um, doesn't he care about what Israel is going through? Doesn't he care that the land has been taken over? But from Jesus' point of view, he sees them as being inappropriate. Jesus responds to the leaders and the subtext underneath his words is, well, if you knew who I was, you would join in on the feast. If you knew who I was, you would join in on the feast. Uh, in the book of Revelation, John envisions this future where Christ returns and we begin the new heavens and the new earth by having what he referred to as the marriage supper of the Lamb, where Christ is portrayed as the bridegroom and the church is portrayed as the bride and deity and humanity can finally live in harmony. Now, as a side note, I think it's pretty cool that um, basically the first item on the agenda when God returns is food, right? I think it's, it's good. He's got his priorities and orders. Like, where's the food at? Oh, let's make some food. That's pretty good. I like that. I think we're, we're definitely made in his image. Um, now, you can imagine that we're in the new heavens and the new earth. And the time and date of this marriage supper of the Lamb has been set. And then Jeremy starts calling us in to remind us the church is on. And our response would be like, dude, Jesus is back. Uh, he's got a thing on. Like, church is over now. Well, we actually don't go to church anymore. That's, that's kind of done. The church age is finished. Uh, what do you want about that is basically what is happening in Luke 5. Jesus is telling the leaders, you don't realize who I am. That's the first problem. And the second problem is you don't understand what's happening right now. You don't understand what time it is. And when Jesus moves on to his parable, the point is this. You guys are wearing an old garment, an old piece of clothing, and I am wearing new clothes you may want me to do things that look like you, but our clothes, they don't match. 
I am doing something new. You've got old wineskins, but I've got new wine. If we try and work this out, maybe I could put my new wine into your old wineskins, but the fact is it just won't work. Your old wineskins will explode and then my new wine is wasted. Nobody wins. So here's how it will work. With the new wine, I'm bringing new wineskins. The old way of life, the former Jewish calendar, is too limited. It can't contain the new way of life that Jesus is bringing to the world. We could put it this way. Israel thought Jesus came to save them and restore their political hold over the land. And that's what every Hebrew longed for at the time. And it's also the reason why many of the Jewish people rejected Jesus. He did not do what they wanted him to do. And that's partly why people continue to reject Jesus today. He doesn't fit their idea of who God is. And so they conclude, well, it can't be God. Because God would do this. God would suit my agenda. God would fit my politics. Well, God doesn't fit with our agenda. We take on his. Our old wineskins replaced by his new wineskins. The old way of life replaced by the new. So Israel thought that Jesus came to restore their political hold over the land. But Jesus came to save and restore the whole world, not simply one piece of land. The people of God thought it was all about them, which is a warning to us as well. But even their scriptures testified from the creation of Adam and Eve to the Mosaic and Abrahamic covenant to, the, to Solomon's temple, God has always been about and had a vision for the whole world. And uh, as Jeremy shared last week, Isaiah 43 verse 18, do not remember the past events Pay no attention to things of old. Look, I am about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? And um, last year or the year before, I, I cannot remember, but uh, Paul Force shared the illustration of turning left from Old Port Road onto Church Street near Coles, Port Adelaide. Except there's a problem with what I just said, which is that there's no left turn. Um, but if you were raised or lived in Port Adelaide for a long time and you had your license before 2003, I actually don't know when, um, in your brain, that is and always will be a left turn. You can't help it. It doesn't matter if the conditions of the road have changed. If you're like me or you're like Paul, you are smacking that left indicator with all your might and you are like, bam, left turn, baby, let's go. And there's a young driver behind me and they're like, look at this old, this is so, this is so cringe. I can't believe it. What is this guy doing? Well, they're right. Those young people, they're right. Because in that instance, I am an old wineskin driver. See, I, I remember the past events of that corner growing up, and when I first started driving, we turned left. Uh, I'm an old wineskin driver. I'm paying attention to the things of old. I'm not paying attention to the present-day street that is now veering left. I'm paying attention to the old street, and I'm driving my cars to the conditions of an old Port Adelaide, Port Adelaide that doesn't exist anymore. 
in today's reality. And one of the pitfalls that we have to avoid as a church is to not be so stuck in our old ways, old routines, old models of church that we end up trying to reach a world that doesn't actually exist anymore. Uh, It's still here, but the conditions have changed. But we haven't adapted. Uh, That's the beginning of the end for many churches. So I want us to sit with those five words from Isaiah. Do you not see it? In Luke 5, there were things that the religious leaders could not see. God showed up in Israel in the form of Jesus, and they could not see it. You can imagine God standing before you, but you miss it. You don't notice. Well, their lives were set to the conditions of the old Israel. And they could not see that the Lord was about to do something new. Jesus did things differently. He feasted when they fasted, and they could not handle it. The old wineskins were like beginning to burst. His new wine was upsetting and breaking their system. Five words from Isaiah, do you not see it? So what is it about our culture that hinders us from seeing God? What is it about our church that hinders us from seeing God and showing God to others? These are good questions to ask. How do the old wineskins in our culture keep us from experiencing the new wine? Uh, there's a book that I've purchased, haven't read. It looks like a tough slog. Um, it's called Bulwarks of Unbelief, Atheism and Divine Absence in a Secular Age. Yes, yes. Uh, the author, we describes our culture today as Technoculture, technology culture. And he argues pretty well that God is less obvious in today's age of technology, and this has accounted for the rise of atheism. Um, Heavily researched. The ever-growing technological conditions of our culture has made it harder for people to see God. And it's not really just about God. Um, technology has shaped the way we experience reality, many facets of reality. Um, And for some people, they've realized that technology has not always improved their experiences. And they've actually taken technological steps backwards so that they can experience reality in a way that makes better sense to them. Now, some of you are like this. I'm going to use the record and vinyl industry as an example of this and actually how we as the church may uh, learn some lessons from them. Uh, Records have um, made a comeback in recent years. And this can be a bit strange to the average person. Um, In this technological age of instant gratification, convenience, uh, streaming, There's a community of people that exist, including very young people, who want to play music from a bulky, inconvenient form of media that takes up a lot of space and is not at all instantly gratifying. You know, sometimes you've got to clean or wipe the disc before you can play it. Uh, Each side has about 15 to 20 minutes of music, and then you have to flip it over to listen to the other side. This is not advanced technology. This is old. And there's something defiant about a community that is willing to choose old technology over advanced forms of technology. And it's defiant because you're going, why are they doing that? Why would a community of people want to listen to music in this very outdated fashion? 
Well, there's a few reasons uh, off the top of my head. I'm sure there's more. But first, the music feels real. It's not invisible floating in the air to your Bluetooth speaker. It feels real because you can hold it in your hands. And with a record, you are quite literally holding the music itself in your hands. It belongs to you now. It doesn't disappear when you forget to pay your Spotify bill. Uh, second, music is a work of art. And the artists behind each album have thoughtfully produced their work, from each song to the song order to the cover art. All of it is supposed to be experienced as a cohesive uh, piece of work. So this is the opposite of a normal streaming experience, which is that we often chuck on a song and then the algorithm takes over. And so you put on The weekend, and the next thing you know, you're listening to Billy Joel and you're like, wait, what's going on here? What happened? Thirdly, and this might be the most important, the inconvenience of the media itself is what makes the experience worthwhile, which sounds very contradictory. But here we will find the best lesson for the church. When I stream music, it's usually because I'm doing something else. Going to work, mowing the lawn. Um, it's not necessarily about the music. It's just something that keeps me entertained while I do something else. What this means is that I'm not actually really paying attention to the music itself. I'm not really respecting what the artist is wanting me to hear. It's just something that keeps me entertained. But when I chuck on a record, I sit down in a chair and I listen to a whole album, just as the artist intended it to be heard. Why would I do that? Well, I went to all the effort to grab it, chuck it on the turntable, wipe it with a cloth. I can't really go anywhere because the side is going to finish in 15 minutes, so why would I go somewhere? Um, it's actually the inconvenience of the media that forces me to stop and fully experience and enjoy the music in a way that a convenient form of media streaming will not let me. So this phenomenon of uh, records is often written about. It surprises people. They use the word revival. What has caused this revival of vinyl in the music industry? In a techno-cultural world, this is an anomaly. It doesn't make sense. We're supposed to go forwards, not backwards. So why would a community of people want to listen to music in an outdated fashion? Well, here's the question for us. Why would a community of people belong to an outdated religion? And I'm sure you understand that in today's culture, that is what Christianity is seen as, is how it's spoken of, outdated religion. Technology has shaped the way we experience many facets of reality, including religion. But we've learnt that, well, for the vinyl community, well, they've intentionally taken technological steps backwards so that they can experience reality in a way that makes better sense to them. So I think we also must have this principled defiance about us as well. Some may laugh and think we're outdated, but the fact is we don't live our lives to please other people. This technology may seem outdated to you, but it helps me listen and appreciate music. This religion may be outdated to you, but it helps me to make sense of and appreciate reality. Uh, secondly, even though the media is inconvenient, it helps me to experience the music as it was intended to be heard by the artist who produced it. 
And there is something inconvenient about new wineskins. If the old wineskins was a metaphor for how the old Jewish way of life could not fit Jesus into their agenda, then we must understand new wineskins to mean that Jesus is creating a new community that suits his agenda alone. And by creating this community, Jesus sets the agenda himself. And there is something inconvenient about this new community, which is why we can't simply drop our old wineskins and take on the new. It's inconvenient to listen to a bulky form of media, but for some people it helps them to listen to and appreciate musical works of art. Well, it's inconvenient to pray, it's inconvenient to tithe, it's inconvenient to attend church, it's inconvenient to serve in church, it's inconvenient to love one another. Going back to the communion, it's very inconvenient to love your enemy. We could go on. The community that Christ is building is inconvenient to us because it doesn't serve our natural agendas. But the hope is that by existing in this community, over time, our agendas will naturally become his agendas. And we can find it easier and easier to let go of our old wineskins and accept his new way of life. So I said earlier that it is the inconvenience of the vinyl record itself that makes the experience worthwhile. Well, what if the inconvenient way of life that God calls you to is the very thing that unlocks how you see and experience reality? What if this inconvenient way of life that Jesus calls you to is for your own good and for your own joy? You just don't know it yet. The same way that I want to listen to a work of art as it was intended to be heard by the artist, I also want to experience and enjoy reality as God intended me to. Now that passage in Luke 5, you can see it there, it ends on a very sad note, the last verse. No one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for he says the old is good enough. It is so much easier to keep drinking the old wine from the old wineskins. It satisfies you, you're used to it, it's convenient, it's good enough. Um, the charge from Jesus is to leave the old wine and the old wineskins in the old year. And this year to take the challenge of inconvenience that Jesus calls you to because it just may unlock the sweetness of reality as God intended it to be, that you may begin to experience life in a whole new way. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, your word is challenging um, and it's hard to apply and it takes a step of faith to do so. And so Lord, I pray that you would grant us the faith today to take this challenge on. To live a life that at first may not make sense, but after a while begins to reveal itself as the life that you intend that is for our good and for our joy and for your glory. We pray, Lord, for each of us in the new year that is ahead of us and that we leave the old wine and the old wineskins in the old year and that we take on this new wine and we take on this new way of life given to us through Christ and by the power of the Spirit. In your name, amen.